0: Would you like to win a bundle of some of Scott's books on discipleship? Hi, my name is Becky Castle Miller, and together with Scott, I wrote a workbook called Following King Jesus, which is 24 lessons on discipleship. We've taken excerpts from some of Scott's books, The King Jesus Gospel, The Blue Parakeet, One Life, and A Fellowship of Difference, and I put together Bible studies in each lesson and prayer prompts and journaling exercises, as well as a small group guide in each lesson if you want to do the book together with other followers of Jesus. If you are interested in winning a bundle of Scott's books and following King Jesus, you can enter the church source giveaway. Then the link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about a culture of witness. So, Scott, we're working through our series here on Pastor Paul and investigating how the job and responsibility of a pastor is to form a culture. And uh, it's this reciprocal relationship between a congregation and systems. and, um, And one of the cultures is that of witness. So, Get us started here. Let's just jump in if you're ready. How should we define witness?
1: Okay, let's just say that uh, I, I make a big announcement on my blog that the healthiest thing that everybody in the world should be doing is riding a bicycle, uh, that they should all get rid of their cars and do everything on bicycles. And then someone uh, asks me a question. Um, what kind of bicycle do you ride? And I say, oh, I, I don't do that. I drive a car. Um, I'm not a witness. I'm just a, a, a voice box, you know, probably trying to raise money somehow.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And a witness is somebody different than someone who is promoting something or talking there is an implication of behavior. And there is a wonderful French scholar by the name of Ceslas Speke, who wrote a very uh, carefully outlined, detailed, documented article on the meaning of witness. And he broke witness down into five points. And I want to suggest that, that uh, a pastor who is not a personal witness— to Christ and the transforming powers of God's grace and redemption in Christ um, is not a genuine pastor and should not be pastoring. That that uh, that the only credible gospel message comes from witnesses. It's not just ideas mm-hmm. and rational thinking. It is a personal embodiment of that grace and speak broken into five parts is that a witness is someone who was present when something was said or done. That's, that has to do with the personal experience. The second is active to pronounce or or to announce, to proclaim or describe what the witness observed or heard. Okay. I can say that, um, You know, I saw the Cubs in the World Series because I was there. Third, now, that's once in 108 years, and we're hoping that this (laughs) doesn't last another 108 years. (laughs) The Cubs just went to the winter meetings and nothing happened. What do you think about David Ross, though? Well, you know, uh, David Ross is not between the lines. Uh, We have to have players – who get the job done? So I'm not, I'm not persuaded or convinced that this has a whole lot to do with the managers. Not at the professional level. If they're not good enough, the manager's not going to make them good enough. And if they're good enough, the manager's not going to make them good enough. So let's make it clear. So, so this is,
0: I mean, this is a, a, a an appropriate tangent, I guess. So not with David Ross necessarily, but like when you talk about witness. I think the, the one of the big parts of this whole thing is it's really obvious uh, whether you want to admit it or not to tell when somebody's faking it, when somebody is, isn't is tr- a true witness of what God has done in their life. And like for you, man, that excitement when you guys went to the, the World Series and you got to go to those games, you told people about it. You couldn't let it but help – from coming out, and yeah, that's we what posted, we're talking about, isn't
1: it? We posted pictures on Facebook. That means it's real.
0: Yeah, so, right.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we are personal, embodied participants and witnesses to these things. Okay, mm-hmm. back to speak. It was present when something was said or done. Second, it's active to announce, proclaim, or describe what the witness uh, observed or heard. Third identifies with what was seen or heard and believes the gospel that Jesus is Lord. So a witness in this sense is not simply someone who saw or heard that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, but they stake their lives on this. So they become implicated in the action. And because he died and was raised, they become believers. Fourth, they embody that witness even to the point of death. And that's where the word martyr comes from someone whose uh, life was given as a witness to the truthfulness of the gospel uh, about Jesus and his resurrection. So they're willing to die for that. And finally, he says he, um, that a witness has hearers, observers, has hearers or observers who render decisions on the basis of the witness witness." In other words, um, the early apostles were witnesses to the resurrection. They encountered the living and resurrected Jesus Christ. They witnessed to that, they were willing to die for it, and they called people to make decisions on this. There are some people who occasionally will say about this word witness in the New Testament, that it's just a life. This is, uh, to put it mildly, total nonsense. These yeah. are people who aren't studying the New Testament or how this word is used. Yes, a person's life is involved in witness, but okay. it is not just a witness in a, in a personal life. It is a verbal witness. So to witness, to be a martyr, a oh, type person, someone who witnesses, is to say, I saw something, I experienced something, um, I heard something, and I'm telling you about it. I'm proclaiming it. I'm announcing it. And I'm willing to put my life on the line as to what I'm saying. And if that leads me to death, that's fine. But I want you to understand that the truthfulness of what I have to say matters ultimately for redemption. So that's the idea of witness. It's outlined in the standard um, uh, lexicon by Ceslaws Speak. Uh, it's called a theological lexicon for the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to and I, I want to contend that a church culture is a culture of witness. In other words, it is a collection of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, it is a collection of people who are personal witnesses Mm -hmm. of the gospel. They tell the story of Jesus that they have experienced. They know about his death and resurrection. They've experienced dying with him. They've experienced being raised with him. They've experienced the Holy Spirit giving them strength and life and new life, regeneration, And they are here to tell people about it and call people to the truth of that. It is my contention in this chapter that pastors are called to be witnesses, Mm -hmm. that Paul was a witness. And um, that the credibility of the gospel in many ways um, is connected to the credibility or the authenticity of the pastor and other people in churches, of course, leaders and everyone, uh, that they are authentic in their experience and witness of the gospel.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And I love the fact that you chose the route of, of witness and um, calling it a culture of witness, because I think one of the temptations in church culture sometimes is to make it more of a lawyer culture where it's our responsibility to defend Jesus, to explain why we believe, to, to to do all of these things where we put the other person on trial. But that's not. That's not. I. From what you laid out, and I think as I've always read the New Testament, that's not the invitation of followers of Jesus. It's not to be the center and to be the one that's defending. Jesus does a fine job of that by himself. Our job is to point to his work in our lives and foster that in others. I would say.
1: Uh, now, I mean, just think about this. When you, um, um I, I I just was with someone yesterday who said said when when they were in, I think they were in seminary. They may have been in college. When they first encountered Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think Mm. they were in seminary. They started reading Bonhoeffer. And what happens with Bonhoeffer is that you read these books knowing that this man died for his faith. Yeah. Um, uh, When you read Jürgen Moltmann, you read the story of a man who, like Bonhoeffer, Uh, Was now he was imprisoned by the British. uh, Moltmann was, but uh, Bonhoeffer was imprisoned for his faith. But you read the story of Moltmann, who was a soldier and captured, and then in the suffering of of his life, he becomes a witness to the resurrection and a witness to the gospel of Jesus. Uh, You read the story. You know, one story after another of people who have had this experience, Mm -hmm. and it becomes more credible because it's authentic. That's, I'm not saying that the gospel is dependent upon people having experiences, but one of the crucial factors of New Testament gospel pastoring is the story of the Apostle Paul who is a witness to the gospel, who wants other, people's, other people to be a witness. And in the process, he, he uses the first person, I, to mm-hmm. tell his story. So mm-hmm. uh, to me, uh, we, we need to see some of this about the Apostle Paul. And there are three passages that I often draw uh, our attention to. One of them, two of them are disputed. The most disputed is Romans 7, where Paul uses the word I, and frankly, the theological debates and exegetical debates about Romans 7 uh, occupy all of our attention, and there are very serious questions of whether Paul, in in one way, is just relating his own experience or he's projecting himself into um, a set of ideas. I think that's probably going on in Romans 7. Galatians Mm -hmm. chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, you know, that, uh, you know, Peter, you and I have experienced redemption, justification by faith in Christ. And therefore, we have a particular experience as Jews of moving away from the law as giving us the identity of who we are toward uh, salvation and justification in Christ. Uh, the I and the we of that passage in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21, starts to become witness uh, for Paul, and it, it becomes his personal experience. And uh, I'm, I, I, find, I find that passage fascinating every time I read it, partly because I used to teach it all the time mm-hmm. uh, in classes that I taught. But Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentiles. Listen to this. Yet we know. That's a very interesting expression that Paul says, you and I know something. We know or knowing that a person is justified, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, or there's a debate, faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified, but if in our effort, but if I build up again for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. All I want to say here, Chaz, in this passage is Paul is expressing his own experience in Christ, and he is a witness. The third passage that I go You're to... you preaching
0: I, here, Scott. I like this. Just keep going. I'm
1: not trying to preach here. <laughs> animated with Paul. Galatians, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul, Paul again becomes a witness. If someone else thinks they have reasons, I love this, to put confidence in the flesh, that is, in their um, heritage, in their ethnicity, I have even more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul is saying here, look, uh, you can claim all you want. Uh, and he's fighting off. uh, What happens for Paul quite often is in building his mission churches of Jews and Gentiles is uh, those who are faithful to the law found Paul unfaithful to the law because he didn't require Gentiles uh, to follow the law uh, in in its fullness. And so Paul is responding to them, and he's basically saying, look, When it comes to Judaism, I'm as good a member and witness of Judaism as exists. But, he says, whatever were gains to me in that life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Notice the I again. He's a witness. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's the translation of scuba law. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So again, he's distancing himself from the opponents who think that he should be more law observant, but that uh, righteousness which is through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to know, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained, but I press on. Chaz, I'm I'm pressing these uh, the word I here because mm-hmm. it is a revelation of the significance and the importance of of Paul as a witness to the gospel himself i believe it is important for pastors then to tell their stories mm-hmm. not as the only story although and i have met pastors who think if you haven't had uh, they don't say it this way but if you but if you haven't had my experience or an experience very much like my experience you're not a believer and so they're trying to create a bunch of people who've had the same experience. And I, I am glad for those who who see the significance of their own experience as paradigmatic, as significant, and as something that they, they know is true. They've experienced it. That's mm-hmm. important. Yeah. But uh, not everybody is going to experience the gospel in the same way. This is why I wrote many years ago a book on conversion, Turning to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I worked on that is because I had experienced so many people, or I had met so many people who had experienced Christ in such different ways, but they had all experienced Christ. So I, um, I glory in the diversity of, let's say, ca- call it Christian conversion experiences, but at the same time, these people all could become witnesses to what God had done in their life through Christ in meeting him. So I think that every pastor, uh, all the leaders, need to be able to witness personally to their own story and then urge people in their churches uh, to become personal witnesses as well. And uh, there's a danger here, uh, the danger of glorifying our own experience. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it would be the danger of glorifying experience itself. Um I don't find that to be as much a problem in a lot of church cultures that I've been in in the last twenty years as much as as pastors and preachers and teachers being unwilling to tell their own experience as if it's somehow mm-hmm. inauthentic or selfish. Uh, I think that the paradigm of Paul is very important here in Romans seven even though I know it's a, it's disputed in Galatians chapter two, which is a paradigmatic uh, passage verses 15 through 21. And in Philippians three, these are from different periods in Paul's own ministry. He interjects I into his letters as a way of confirming the truth of the gospel. And in, one of the more interesting ones is in the book of Romans, when Paul is going through um, some of the um, difficult experiences he's had uh, in trying to explain the gospel to other people, Paul will appeal to his own experience. I am not lying; my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. And um, at times he interjects in saying, "You know, this is this is the truth. I can tell you, I'm I'm a believer. I'm Jewish." And we can't discount me. And he almost connects himself to, well, he does, connects himself to people like Elijah and Isaiah. Yeah. So Paul Paul is willing to use his own experience as witness. And so I, I encourage pastors, now, if they do it every week, it's too much. If they do it once every 10 years, it's not enough. Pastors have to find a rhythm of being able to bring themselves into their sermons as witness. Uh, In following the paradigm of Paul. Okay, I preached. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and it was a pretty good sermon. And That was, I mean, it's so helpful and important. I think you did such a great job summing so much of that up in this chapter when you're talking about Paul and you say he's not making his story important; he uses his story to make the story of Christ, the gospel, important. And that's uh, John, at the end that's, of the...
1: that's John. I learned that from John Barclay. I I was yeah. reading him one time when I I saw him do that, and I thought. Mm-hmm that's what happens in good witness. Hmm. A good witness doesn't say, look at me. A good witness says, look at Jesus. But I will show you in my own experience who Jesus is. So um, it is, it is, um, it's personal. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, it, uh, it points everybody to Jesus.
0: Well, and it's like you you brought up the example of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is such a great example. And I've experienced the same thing. I'll never forget uh, sitting at church camps, reading The Call of Discipleship, or excuse me, The Cost of Discipleship, um, or just Discipleship in, in German, and uh, and just knowing his story and, and what he's inviting people into to live out that story and be witnesses in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I love his quote, too, that you put in this chapter, that the call to be extraordinary is the great inevitable danger of discipleship. So with this, it's, it's not like we don't have witnesses for our own sake, for our own glory, for our own name to be famous, but we want to live incredible lives that are the most extraordinary witnesses, not for our glory, but for the sake of pointing to Jesus to say, this is only possible if God showed up in this way in Jesus.
1: Yep. Yep, I think that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, uh, the impact of the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is just so widespread. But it is an impact that uh, has led millions of Christians to deepen their faith in Christ and their following of Christ. So they don't become disciples of Bonhoeffer, although they might mm-hmm. like to use his language. Mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer exhorts or leads people to become deeper disciples of Jesus, and that's what a witness does. Yeah. It witnesses not to self; mm-hmm. it witnesses to others. Even as John Barclay would say, uh, is as it uses eye language. The eye language becomes the language of the gospel, pointing to Jesus, to what God has done in Christ in this new revelation in Christ and not what God has done in me. Mm -hmm. Though it has happened to me, it is a witness to what God has done in Christ.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I think that this is why it's important to identify it as a culture and not just a practice, because the culture means that it's not just the pastors doing the witnessing. It's not just them telling the stories or, or whatever it is, but that it's actually the participation of the whole community witnessing to the work of God in their life. And I know as a pastor, the most Profound experience of this that I've had was at Parkview. We would I would lead the groups in local mission, and our um, discipleship program that we utilized was a thing called Rooted. And at the end of Rooted, it's this whole experience is very very helpful. It was a wonderful tool for us. Um, but at the end of it, there's a whole week on being able to uh, articulate and then uh, tell your story to other cool. people about how Jesus works in your life. And a lot of it's centered around the John nine story of the, the guy who's born blind and Jesus heals him. And he just simply says uh, this, I you know, when he gets pestered by the the religious leaders and he says, well, this, I know I first was blind, but now I see. And yeah. I think yeah. it's, it's not this intricate theological, treaty that you have to know and be able to explain really witnessing is sharing your story, is sharing how I was this and now because of Jesus this. And, and I think that's really when that's happening, the kingdom is, is really doing well. And we're really serving the kingdom. Well, when we share, No,
1: I, 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 I totally agree is that, is that witnessing is sharing our story about Jesus is that, uh, we are able to tell others our experience of Jesus to lead those people to think of Jesus. And uh, Chaz, you're right to bring up this word culture. I, I haven't talked about that much today. But we want our churches to be a culture where as a culture, we, the church witnesses to who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole church is like... Uh, a word the whole church is speaking as an agent it's not just the words being said but everything about this place witnesses to what god has done for us in christ so that's that's uh, i think that's that's a word for all of us today
0: yeah. And it goes into, so what does this look like as the church? And yes, it, it may start as, as pastor, but like you started your chapter talking about the, um, the, the allusion to the church being like a, a library of stories. And yeah. that's, that's the profound part about it is that everybody's story is different. And, yeah, yeah. and we get to honor and celebrate that we don't have to compete about it. And yeah. just because you don't have the same story as me, or I wasn't strung out on drugs and had a, a really far prodigal experience, doesn't mean that my story is any less significant or can be used any less by God either. Um, Cause we all can be witnesses to what God's doing in our life.
1: Yep. I agree. So. Totally.
0: So as we think about pastors and helping equip them to foster this culture, uh, do you have any other suggestions on how pastors can guide people in their congregations to see and use their stories to point to the good news of Jesus?
1: Yeah, I would I would say that um it would be wise for pastors to say form a template of um people to be able to think about their story. Um say You know, where you grew up, what your life was like, what kind of experience you were going through that led you to want to think about Jesus. Um, What kind of experience you had, who were witnesses to you, who were uh, in conversion theory, we call these advocates. Um, What were you reading? What were you watching? What what did you listen to? Who were influential models of the Christian life in your in your own story, um, describe, uh, talk about how that um, made an impact on you and how it led you to believe in Jesus, and then uh, as much as possible, even to describe um, the kinds of changes in your life since that time um, and how you're a different person because of that. Now, I outline this stuff in, uh, in my book, Turning to Jesus, um, but I just went through a, a sort of a prose summary of, of those categories. I think giving people categories like that allows them to sort out their story. It gives them some categories that they might, might not otherwise have thought of. I mean, maybe they just knew that they were really miserable and Jesus came along, but they had forgotten the fact that they had read C.S. Lewis or they had been to a movie that was transformative or that one of their best friends took him out for coffee and said something. Uh, you can't tell C.S. Lewis's life without knowing about Hugo Dyson and J.R.R. Jo- and Tolkien, who mm-hmm. had an impact on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can talk about him being uh, on a trip and getting off, knowing that he was now what he called the most lonely convert in all England, Um, And that's an interesting story, but uh, these other things were a part of his life. His parents, uh, his father, his mother dying when he was young. um, He and his brother making up stories uh, in boxing land in order to cope with the the misery and and the suffering that they had gone through. All these things matter, and each of us has different elements in our story. So I would encourage people to think that way. The other thing is, is to, uh, and I, I don't know about practicing stories because sometimes it's probably not bad to practice your story, but Mm -hmm. there are times when it has to be really short and other times when it has to be long. And -hmm. if you're like somebody who has to be revved up and you have to go 20 minutes then, and you only have five, it's really a nuisance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that um, someone listening to our telling our story can help us shape the story so that what people hear about is what God did for them rather than, uh, you know, the magic or the depth of their own experience.
0: I think that's all great advice, and I've experienced all of those things as well. Going back to the the rooted thing that we did, um, part of that experience was each everybody in the group would um, would share their story, and and so um, yeah. that was a, a great connection for the group to have, and um, yeah. just a helpful resource. So
1: when I was in high school, we did this. We practiced telling our own story, and I think that was yeah. very important. But it, mm-hmm. we also have to learn over time and with some maturity and some experience telling our story yeah. uh, to adapt it to the context we're in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Well, this has been so fun today, Scott. Any closing thoughts to wrap up our conversation on a culture of witness
1: today? I think I've had a sort of a, uh, a focused theme here, or we have. So I, I would say, uh, uh, let's pray that we would, uh, let's strive Let's um, let's work at forming a culture where people uh, encounter us as witnesses to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and let's not be afraid to tell our stories.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, because it's so important. And what it will do is a connection to our next week is um, begin to subvert worldliness. And so, as you send us away, any any reason we should come back uh, for the conversation we're going to have on uh, how a culture of world subversion is what Paul fosters as a pastor.
1: You know, uh, I think one is we uh, we're a little bit aloof anymore as to what worldliness means. Mm. And the other side is, I think Paul was a cultural wizard yeah. at seeing through, especially the Corinthians, uh, I mean, he sees through all his churches, but the the uh, Corinthians and how they were criticizing Paul, and Paul would get irritated. I mean, he's, he's not the perfect pastor. Uh, Jesus is, but, um, and he... But he was seeing through what they wanted out of him into a worldliness that was driving what they wanted. And he exposed their worldliness in some powerful language. So I'd like to talk about Paul sometime in our next episode and how uh, Paul models subverting worldliness in our churches. And we might need this more in 2020 than we've needed mm. it in long time.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Looking forward to it. So, uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Make sure, if you haven't had a chance to subscribe, please do so because uh, you're not going to want to miss out on that conversation. So, we're as always grateful to have you and um, really encouraged to hear how, man, hopefully this is helpful. And uh, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, that you're being a witness and that you're sharing the story of what God through His kingdom is doing in and in through you. So, thanks again for joining Joining us, We look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.